Open your Bibles to Genesis 38. This is the tale of two brothers. And this is part one. Because the two brothers are Judah and Joseph. This is an odd chapter if you're just reading. If you were reading the Bible as a novel, you'd go, what? Why is that in there? Because the last week, last chapter, last week, if you remember, we're introduced to Joseph and what happened to him with his brothers and all of that. And it's, it's sort of like the season ending show of a TV series. It left a lot of unresolved questions. And so you turn in the page. What comes next? What happens to Joseph? Well, I don't know because he goes talking about Judah. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to flow and to follow. But there is this dramatic pause to set something up. And we'll see what that is in this chapter. And then it'll pick Joseph back up in the next chapter. So I want to say that. So I'm going to contrast Judah and Joseph in these two chapters most specifically. And just a few things. There's, as always, there's more than I can say, especially in uh, the, the time left to me even today. Um, but here's what I want you to take home with you today. And that is you need to be the person you want to become. I remember as a little boy, everybody said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and this is how smart I am. When I was five years old, I wanted to be a fire truck. <laughs> I, I guess that was just my five-year-old way of saying fireman, you know, and, and uh, I gave that up pretty quick. But, but, uh, but I just remember all the adults laughing at me. I couldn't figure out what they were laughing about because I didn't know. But, you know, there are people that are, that are, that are 55 and still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. They don't, they don't really get settled on that. But, but here's something I know. If you know what you want to become, you do that by being that now. And that, that doesn't make logical sense. Well, if I, if I were already that, what else am I becoming? You've got to start acting now like you want to be later. Because it is through repetition and practice you become that. Nobody wakes up. I, well, that's a negative example. I won't use that. But, but, but we, none of us wake up and, oh, I can play professional football today. Or I can do this, you know, whatever the pinnacle of anything in, out there in the world is. I guess we just had the drafts of footballs in my brain. But, but, but whatever the pinnacle of any discipline is, you don't just go, oh, I think I'll do that. It takes, it takes time after time. I even I, I heard uh, someone asked a special warfare guy, Hey, how do I become one of you? And he said, do a push-up. The guy says, is that it? He goes, no, tomorrow do two. And then three. And then four. We start and then you become what you are becoming. And so if you have a goal down there to be a fully formed image, be fully formed the image of Christ and be a discipled follower, a disciplined follower of Christ, then start finding out something today and doing that. Because that will become a habit that your reactions later on will just happen without you even thinking about it. Uh, you know, people like, to, there was a time when Chuck Norris jokes were funny. Everybody knows, kind of knows who he is. Five-time world karate champion, just very disciplined. He still does commercials, I guess. And, you know, he's, he's, he's getting older now and all of that. But he became a Christian back in the 90s. He... he literally accepted Christ and, and, and got saved. And, and so we're excited about that. But I remember that his TV show back then was Walker, Texas Ranger. And I saw him on a talk show and he's talking and the host wanted to surprise him, you know, make a little funny joke. So he had his co-star hiding behind the couch. And all of a sudden his co-star just popped up and went, hey, 
And the next second, his co-star was in front of him on his back on the floor and his fist was back about to pop him. He didn't even think. He just whoop, threw him down. I mean, it was, everybody jumped. He went, oh, it's you. And he picked him back up. <laughs> you know why? Because for 60 years, he'd been doing that over and over and over and over and over. So you want to become something, you start doing it now. And be what you want to become. Because we see Judah acting in some ways. And you go, why would he do that? Because that's what he was doing already. Right? So I, I just want to point out. So we're going to be in verse. Uh, well, we're going, to, we're going to run through the chapter. But look at. Let, let's just open it up with the first five verses. Like I did last week. And then we'll, we'll kind of go as we go. It happened at that time. Judah went down from his brothers. And turned aside to a certain uh, Adulamite. Whose name was Hira. And there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite. Whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. And she conceived and bore a son. He called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son. And called his name Onan. Not Conan. And yet. And again she bore a son. And she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Chezeb when she bore him. Now you say okay well that's nice. But did you hear what happened? Judah was faithless when he was in good company. He, 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 he's with his family, but he leaves them. He leaves his brothers. That, I, when we read that, we get what it means. He left. I mean, and we would say that, oh, where did he go? Oh, he left to go to the store or he left to go visit them, whatever. And so, you know, it's pretty an innocent statement. But when you think about there, there could be another meaning he left his brothers because there was something over there that he didn't want them to see him doing, possibly. It, I mean, it could be very innocent, but I, I think the Bible doesn't waste words, and sometimes he, he gives us even other meanings. And, and you have to be careful. You can't make stuff up, and I'm not trying to make it up. But it says, it happened that at that time, Judah went down from his brothers in other words, he left them. He walked away from them. And he goes to this place, Adula, which is a Canaanite place. Now, again, they're living in Canaan, pretty much. They can't help but be around Canaanite people. But it gives us some specific places to let us know what's happening. And why does he go there? There was a certain man there named Hira. And we'll learn later in this chapter, he asked Hira to do something very secretive and very important for him. So obviously they have a close relationship and Judah trusts this guy. And now when you think about him leaving his brothers, he's going to see his friend. His friend, we might would say today, and, and again, I don't know, we don't know much about Hira. A lot of what we're seeing here, God puts it there and I am inferring. And so I'm very careful how I infer because... I could be wrong, but I just want to paint a picture of possibility here that that was his partner in crime. That was his friend that, you know, we can go do this thing because we do that together. Nobody sees us. I don't know. I'll show you some more evidence why I think this is not as, as nice as it could be on the surface. And then it goes on to say, and Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite. His name is Shua. And he took her and went into her and she conceived. He marries her. He, he, he's going to raise children whether he's married to her. But the Bible doesn't say he saw her. He went and got blessing from his father and married her. It just says he saw her and he went into her 
and she conceived. I'm going to have to remind you of something that happened a few chapters back. Judah and all of his brothers had a sister. And the son of the king of Shechem saw her and went into her. It's the very same language. It's the exact same language. And you remember Judah's first two oldest brothers, they killed everybody in that town. You remember that story? Same phrasing, same words. He sees her, he goes into her. There probably wasn't very much holy about this. This was just lustful, to be honest. He desired it, he went into it, and it seems like he stayed married to her. She dies within this chapter, the Bible's. And, and, and the timing of this, you know, I'm not sure how long all the events took, and so we have to allow for that. But He's with his family. There are other choices in his marriages. He could stay with his brothers. There's companionship. There's all the things he needs. But he leaves them, goes to his friend, sees a woman, marries her, has a child. It, it almost gives it like he doesn't ever go back to his brothers. Now he does, but it, it looks kind of, of, yeah, the picture is painted that he's just not hanging out where he ought to be. All right? And then we see that He's faithless in a good promise. He made a promise to someone and he broke that promise. And we'll just look at 6 through 11. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Doesn't even tell us why God killed him. But when we've seen all that God has allowed to happen, and then he kills this dude for something he did, it must have been really bad, you know? I don't know, but... And then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew the offspring would not be his. So I'm going to stop there because children and I don't know who's going to watch this. You can read it. You're an adult. You can read it on. And, and then the Bible kills this dude because he doesn't raise up children for his older brother. And that passage has been used and misused many, many times because of the act that he was doing. But I want to show you what his real sin is. His real sin is, well, it's multifold. Number one, he's just being selfish. He's using her for physical relations, but he's not doing what God wanted him to do. But why did he not want to do that? That was always a question. I never thought about it fully until now. And that is this. When, if he had helped Tamar conceive, that son would have been the firstborn of Judah. So he would have had all the authority because it would have been a son as if his older brother had that son. You following me? And this boy's going, hey, I'm next in line. There is no way I'm just going to mess this up for myself. He's selfish. He's greedy. I don't know if you remember, Judah's the one said, why kill him? We can make money off of him. Sold him for 20 shekels of silver. I get two, you get two, we all get two shekels, man. It'd be awesome. Well, his son learned well. If I mess this up, I'm not going to get all that money that I now will inherit. He's greedy, he's selfish, and he's lustful as well. He... 
so God kills that dude. Well, he's only got one son left. And so he says to Tamar, tell you what, I got one more boy. Let him grow up. And, and they're, one commentator thinks these guys are relatively young in all this as well. They're not like 40-year-old men. These are maybe even still teenagers. This is happening. And, but he says, let him grow up a, a little bit more, and then I'll give him to you. Because I'm thinking like, my goodness, how long has he got to wait? Because, you know, I'm thinking like little kid and got to wait 40 years. for him. No, it, it just may be a year or two. But Judah never intended to give that third one to him. Because again, inferring from the passage, it ain't my boys that are bad. This girl's bad luck. I don't want to lose the last kid I got on her. And so he doesn't let him become her husband. So he promised he would, but he doesn't. And, and down uh, verse 11 is, is the detail of that and verse 10 the end of it what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord and he put him to death also so Judah says to Tamar his daughter-in-law remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah my son grows up for he feared that he would die like his brothers you thought I just made it up didn't you so Tamar went and remained in her father's house he sends her away okay she won't be around to see what's happening save my son's life I'm just going to go about my merry way. But he forgot. A woman doesn't forget. <laughs> Tamar holds on to this. And we see that Judah was probably faithless in his marriage. I, I, I'm trying to make it consistent how I'm saying all this. And so it's, I'm calling this part faithful, faithless in a good marriage. I don't know how good his marriage was. They had children and and uh, she, she had passed away. And it tells us in verse 12, in the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. So let's just know his wife has died when this happens. Not That's an excuse. Um, but just so you know. And it goes on to say, and when Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira. There's old Hira again, the Adulmite, Adulamite. Sorry, let me say that. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments. She has been doing the right thing. She's been in mourning for her husbands uh, for this long. And she wraps herself up, uh, covered herself with a veil, and went and, uh, and sat at the entrance to Enim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. He didn't keep his promise. So she's going to force his hand. And Judah saw her and he thought she was somebody else. He didn't know who, but he knows what. Because that was the pagan religions of Canaan. People get real upset that God told Israel to kill all the Canaanites. But part of their worship uh, it was temple prostitution. And, and so she dressed up like one of those and sat down and at the gate. And so... When Judah saw her, he thought she was this, and because she had covered her face, and he turned into her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, I'll send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me your pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? And she replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff. That cord could have been a sash, but more than likely his signet wasn't on a ring. It was a, a stone or some, a carved wood that he would use as a stamp, so he wrapped it around his neck on a cord. So give me the cord and, and your signet and your staff. 
The signet was his identity. The staff was his authority. And he surrenders that for an illicit act. And verse... and. And he answered, I'll send you a goat from the flock. If you give me a pledge, you'll send, I'll send uh, until you send it. And he said, what shall I give you? And she tells him that. So he gave it to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Verse 19, and she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. Now let me just pause for a second there. I always wondered why that worked. She dressed up to identify herself in a certain way, and she's sitting on the side of the road. Judah is just walking by and turns to her. Here's, here's my real question. Let me detail that a little bit more. How did she know he would turn into her? Doesn't say she called out to him. Like, I grew up in an area where that also happened. And they would yell and ask, You want a date? Not today. You keep on driving. Keep on going. A friend of mine got proposition coming into church. He went, I'm going to church. Came out of church. He went, how about now? This lady, Tamar, doesn't say anything. She put up a little sign by how she dressed. But she knew Judah couldn't resist that. See, you need to be what you're going to become. And she had seen something in his life that she knew. All I got to do is make it available and he'll come a running. And he did. And his virtue was worth a goat to him. There's no holiness here. There's no sacredness in this act. And she asked for his identity and his authority and he gives it away. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that's what plays out. After a few months, <laughs> I had written down in my notes, Tamar didn't have to guess what Judah would do. She knew what he would do. She had seen it in him. In verse 20, and so Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adonite, to take back his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Remember old Hira? Judah's trying to keep this on the down low, right? Hey, Hira, I need a favor, man. I'm in trouble. I, you know, went into this girl, and I left my signet with her, my staff. I got to get them back. I told her I'd send a goat. Would you take it? Don't tell anybody. Just take it down there. That way I won't be seen twice, and nobody will know what you're doing other than just taking somebody a goat. And Hira's like, sure, I'll do that for you, man. Well, I told you, this is his buddy's going to encourage him in his sin, and maybe that ought to be a lesson to you. Don't hang out with people going to encourage you to sin. I say don't be around them. You ought to. But don't get in cahoots with them. You preach Jesus. And you, you keep that that way. You be their friend, but don't let them be your friend in that way. And so he comes back. He says, I, didn't, they, I asked around. They didn't say, they, we don't even have one of those around here. And Jesus said, all right, all right. We'll just let her keep it because I don't want this to get out. That's. The verse is down to 23. Judah replied, let her keep the things as her own or we will be laughed at. You see, I sent the young goat, but you didn't find her. So if anybody asked, no, I paid, but hey, I don't know what happened. She had that because we had this deal and, you know, I don't know what happened to her. 
He's trying to set up a, a move so he can cover his story. But look what happened in verse 24. Three months later, Judas told Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judas said, bring her out and let her be burned. Pretty judgmental for a guy that needs judgment. Do you know judgmental people usually are running from judgment? Take it from somebody who knows. When we don't respond to our sin in the proper way that God calls us to, which is repentance and doing the right thing, we'll start criticizing others and, and we'll, we'll keep doing that. And he wants her burned. Now, we don't have the law yet. Moses will codify the law and a, a, a woman in an immorality should be stoned. You remember what happened when they brought, dragged one of them to Jesus? And the Bible just tells us he started writing in the sand. And finally they said, tell us what you would say to do. Because they're trying to catch the teacher and breaking the law. And he just looked up and said, well, whoever hadn't done the same thing, you throw the first stone. That's what the Greek actually said. He doesn't just say who he was without sin. He said he was without the same sin. You throw the first stone and kept writing. And it's all, every, I mean, since that day, people wondered, what was he writing? Nobody ever told us. And so one of the guesses is he was just writing the number of thou shalt not commit adultery in the sand. But I heard one guy say, I think he was writing the name of all those dudes' girlfriends. <laughs> I kind of like that one. That one, I just, that's what I choose to believe till God tells me, no, no, man, I, he wasn't doing, I wasn't doing that. I was doing something else. But whatever he was writing, it got their attention, it says, because from the oldest to the youngest, they walked away. Why the oldest to youngest? Because wisdom, you go, oh man, never mind, I'm out of here. Boom, he's gone like Judah. The youngest is still like, you know, oh wait, never mind. Okay, I'm going with them. And then Je Jesus, of course, looks at her and says, where are your accusers? She said, no man. Because they, they didn't drag the dude in here. He committed adultery too. Where are your accusers? Said, no man, my Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. And he restored her. She saved her and got her on the right path. And Judah, stoning is the penalty. He wants her burned. That is beyond, that is for the really bad people. Like you'll stone the criminal. But when they're going to burn you, that means, oh, you're the worst of the worst. And his own daughter-in-law. And I don't know, I, again, this is speculation, what may have run through his head is, well, I can take care of this problem with one big swoop. Thank you, Tamar, for messing up. Now, I'm not only going to kill you, I'm going to get you burned so they forget you ever existed. And so, look at verse 20, uh, 25. And she was brought out, and as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I'm pregnant. And she said, please identify these. This is the guy you got to go after. This is, this is the one that did this to me. Tell, tell me if you recognize him. Is it somebody you know? I like to also infer how they sounded when they said stuff. She said, please identify whose these are, the signet, the cord, the staff. And Judah identified him and said, she's more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son, Sheila. And he did not 
know her again. Now, technically, he becomes her husband. Technically, according to tradition, and it's codified in Moses' law, he should have become her husband and taken care of her for the rest of her life by providing shelter and affection and, and goods and money. Those are the three things that are promised in marriage and that you cannot deny your spouse. And it goes both man and woman. And we say the same thing in today's ceremonies, which I just did one yesterday. I give you my body. I give you my goods. I give you, I will stay with you in sickness or in health. And we'll work all this out. So Judah says, okay, you're right. He doesn't ever go to her again, but she has two kids. And we see something unusual here, and I think it's important. When the time, well, obviously it's important, it's in the Bible. Doesn't need for me to think that. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took it and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first, but as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, what a breach you've made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez, which means make a breach or to break through. And afterward, his brother came out with a scarlet thread, and his name was called Zira, which means to rise. If you look in Matthew and in Luke, you see these boys. Both boys. Even though Perez is the father that comes down to Boaz, who comes down to David, who comes down to Christ. Just so you get the lineage. But did you notice the scarlet thread? We see that again in Rahab, right? Tie a scarlet thread out the window. And preachers, and most famous being W.A. Criswell, every year on New Year's, he would preach the scarlet thread of redemption through the Bible. It was a three-hour sermon, and people packed it out every year to hear him do the same sermon once a year for three hours. So I never got to hear it. I don't know if I could do it for three hours. If I could have, Dr. Criswell's with the Lord, bless his heart, and glad he is. But, uh, but we call the story of redemption the scarlet thread of redemption because the blood is red. And, of course, this is also identified another way because of Rahab. But I don't know if that's all the midwife had. But if it was, it's because God made sure it was a scarlet thread. And Perez breaks through, and he becomes that kingly line but this is, you know, still not in the direct lineage, but still an uncle to the Lord Christ. And he has a scarlet thread. And his name means to rise. To be resurrected, maybe. To get up. Perez had to be first so he could be the heir that would give us Christ. But his brother has a role to play. He's preaching a sermon. Jesus will also rise. And his scarlet thread of redemption won't be broken. Why did God put this whole story in there? So we would know that we have a Savior that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And this woman, Tamar, is listed as one of Jesus' ancestors that Judah by Tamar bears Perez who bears who bears until we get to the guy that marries Rahab who gets us to Boaz who gets us to Jesse who gets us to David who gets us to Jesus 
Why did God stick this right here? Because he's doing a redemptive work throughout Scripture, and he wants us to see how he's doing it. Because he's going to redeem all of Israel, keep them alive, all of the brothers of Judah as we go forward. But he wants to drop in there. And by the way, God's paying attention to what's going on here. This isn't just haphazard. He knows what's happening. And God is faithful in all that he does. And even in Judah's sin, God is redeeming us. And how much better can God point this out? That Jesus was fully human and fully divine. But he didn't die as God. He died as a man. And he was a man that had ancestors just like all of us that we might be a little embarrassed about. William Jennings Bryan said, if you look far enough back in my family tree, you might find some some who hung by their neck. You won't find any hung by their tail. And then we could all say that. Man, I got... I like to say half my relatives are in jail and the other half put them there because you're either a cop or a crook in my family. (laughs) That's, of course, an exaggeration, but it's close to truth. So what can you do with all this? You say, well, that's a nice story, Pastor, and boy, what a good devotional thought. Well, first of all, decide that you're going to be the influencer in your crowd. Don't be mealy-mouthed. Don't be some wimp. Don't be some shy person in the corner. You speak out for Jesus. This isn't that strong, but I I appreciated it when I read it that the second President Bush, W, George W. Bush, was campaigning for his father when he was running for president. And he he had gotten several senators on board an airplane and has taken them to talk to his dad. And on that flight, just those guys in there, those guys started talking about the conquest of their secretaries and all the things they'd been doing. And George W. picked up a glass of water and said, Gentlemen, I'd like to propose a toast to Laura Bush. That's his wife. Said they didn't say anything else the rest of the plane ride. You be the, you don't have to be mean. Just let them know, I don't put up with that. We're not going to do it. We're not going to go there. I have, you know, I've had people find, I don't like people know I'm, I'm a preacher, you know, when I'm meeting them because then they act funny. I like them to get in trouble and then find out. No. <laughs> but that does happen and they'll go, oh, I'm sorry. I'm going, you don't need to apologize to me. I'm not your judge. You got to answer to God, man. Don't, don't be apologizing to me because I got stuff I need to repent of as well. And we're all sinners in need of a savior. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He was perfect and took all of our sin. And why do we, John 3, 17, again, need, I, I don't need to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I came to save the world. And our job is to save, to give the message of salvation to the sinner and decide that you'll be the influencer in your crowd and you'll talk about Jesus and drop him in the darkest room and watch it light up with his glory. I don't mean, I mean, you turn on, I, I tell you, I'm from South Carolina, and we got what y'all call roaches, we call bugs. Our roaches are like this big, and you turn on a light in the dark, and they run. And that's what happens when you drop Jesus into a dark room, man. Sin runs. Secondly, keep your word. Keep your word. I mean, this is a sin in Judah's life. God is obviously orchestrating this so that what happens flows into Christ. 
And that wouldn't have happened if he'd have given her to his third son. But, but keep your word. Psalm 15 says, The man who ascends the holy hill swears to his own hurt and does not change. When he makes a promise, he keeps it even if it costs him. And thirdly, so obvious, love your wife and be faithful. A wise man once told me, love your wife all the time, all the way. Just do it. The wife you have, and I know I said love your wife. Wives, you need to love your husbands too. But we're talking about Judah. We're talking about the man side of this. I, again, this is a guess because I don't know. But Tamar lived with Judah before his wife died in the way they timed that out. Yet she knew that he would turn into her. Did she see unfaithfulness in him before his wife died? I would guess so. Because the woman he married earlier, they didn't really want him to, God even told him, don't marry these Canaanite women, but that's what he does. And so obviously Judah is a lustful man who is driven by lust. Be faithful to your wife. Love your wife always and stay faithful. But do that in every relationship you got. Be faithful in every relationship.